Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. It's wonderful to see everybody. Um, uh, my name is Bert. I am um, one of the pastors here. I'm not the main teaching pastor here. Um, I'm just kind of filling in for Mike this week, but he is here still if you want to talk to him. He's still around. So, um, well, We are continuing on in our study through uh, the book of Proverbs. We're kind of um, going through the wisdom of Solomon in the book of Proverbs this summer. And uh, we've kind of uh, been not quite going chapter by chapter, but pretty darn close. Uh, and we, it'll kind of change as we go on. But today I am going to read um, the whole chapter of chapter 5. So if you want to turn to Proverbs 5, um, I am going to read the, the whole chapter there. And that's what we're going to dig into uh, this morning. So um, let us read. Uh, the Word of God says this. My son... Be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep you away from her, far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to, the instructors, to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, lest, let them be for yourself alone and not the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Oh, let us pray. <sighs> Father God, uh, there is a great danger in this world, a great um, danger of sin, of temptation, Father. Um, and through your word, through the wisdom of Solomon, you are warning us um, of this forbidden woman, of this great danger. Father, I pray that... Um, this morning, we can take that warning, we can hear it, we can understand it, and through wisdom, through discipline, we can fight against it, Lord, and, and instead um, rejoice in the gifts that you have given us. Uh, Father, may, may we see that in your word today. May we um, be spoken to through your spirit and through your word. Father, we pray things in your name. Amen. So obviously, because we're going through Proverbs, we've been talking a lot about wisdom. We've been talking about how wisdom is... Uh, it's knowledge, but it's also um, using knowledge well. It is uh, doing, making good choices, is making wise choices. We also know that wisdom is, uh, begins with the fear of God. The, the, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Uh, 
Another thing that wisdom does, and we see that in this chapter, and we see it in other passages as well, is wisdom helps us to discern what is dangerous. And it also helps to stay away from what is dangerous. Um, it's, it's been said already a couple times throughout Proverbs, but here it is again. It says, incline your ear to understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Um, the Similar things to this, this idea of guarding knowledge, this idea of discretion, this, this idea of those things that are trying to harm you, there are things that need to be protected from, that need to be dealt with carefully, and you need to recognize them and you need to know how to deal with them. And the reason this is in here, the reason wisdom does that is because the truth is that a lot of times dangerous things are actually hard to recognize. That may sound, sound silly, but it's actually extremely true that often dangerous things are really hard to recognize. There's a question that you might have seen a lot. It's usually maybe it's on like uh, cereal boxes or in uh, like games for kids or, or trivia or whatever it may be. And there'll be a question, something like this, like what is the most dangerous animal in Africa? And it's kind of a, it's supposed to be kind of like a tricky question. It's almost kind of a double trick question because, you know, your, your first thought is, well, it's going to be like a lion, right? Or, an, or a, a crocodile, a Nile crocodile, right? Because they are these giant ferocious animals that have great sharp teeth and, and, and we have lots of shows and movies about them. Um, but then you learn, well, no, 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 this is a trick. It's not one of those. It's the hippopotamus. Because the hippopotamus, they tip over boats and they actually do kill quite a lot of people and they're faster than they look. And, and even though they're not a carnivore, they're actually quite large and vicious. Um, or maybe it's something like a, a wildebeest or um, a water buffalo because cars run into them or because they, hurt, they charge through villages or whatever it may be. And so you're trying to think of these clever ways. But the truth is, and you guys probably already know the answer to this, the truth is the most deadly animal in all of Africa is the mosquito. Right? The mosquito, because of malaria, kills um, over a million people in Africa every year. Uh, and just to give you an idea, I think there's about three people killed by a lion every year and one or two by an elephant and, and whatever. So very, very significantly different numbers. But is, the, the mosquito is the, most, is the most deadly. And so even though when you're going to Africa, you may be thinking of, man, how I need to watch out for a lion or I need to watch out for a crocodile. In fact, you will be spending most of your time trying to think of ways to get uh, bug spray and netting around when you sleep and netting around wherever you go because the by far most dangerous thing that you will run into is a mosquito. And of course, a mosquito is very dangerous uh, because there's many of them. They're everywhere. Um, I decided to uh, be lazy and not look up a fact, so I'm going to make up a fact. Okay, can I make up a fact? So um, my made-up fact is that uh, if you take all the mosquitoes in Africa and all of the elephants in Africa, all the mosquitoes weigh more than all the elephants. I don't know if that's true or not, but there's a fact for you that I made up because um, I thought it'd be a cool thing to say. But uh, I didn't actually look it up, and I think it'd be really hard to figure out. But, um, but mosquitoes are dangerous because they're everywhere. There's so many of them. Um, and also, it's, it's actually pretty easy to build a gate or a, a fence that'll stop a lion it's pretty hard to build a gate or a fence or anything that'll stop mosquitoes, right? We have nets, but even those have a really hard time stopping mosquitoes. The other thing that makes them really, really dangerous, of course, um, is that it's, they're not like cutting you open. Um, they're actually like going straight for your blood, right? They're going straight inside. They're going straight for you, right? They don't have to get through. They very easily and quickly get through your skin, even though they're very small, and they go right for your blood. Um, and that is where you get sick, and that's where many, many people die. 
In this Proverb 5, um, really in many ways, Solomon is, is warning us about something that's dangerous and in many ways very dangerous like a mosquito. It's very dangerous because um, it's everywhere. It's very dangerous because it goes directly um, for your heart. It goes directly for, for inside of you. It goes directly for your bloodstream. Um, and it is very hard. It can be very challenging but possible to put up defenses against it. And what he's talking about here are the different um, versions, different um, sins, different temptations of sexual immorality. Um, he is talking about adultery. He's talking about lust. He's talking about pornography. He's talking about um, uh, sexual relations outside of marriage. Uh, he's talking about all of these many um, sexual sins. And he is using um, a a woman that he's calling the forbidden woman as a personification of those sins. And so as we go on, that's how I will refer to these sins and their temptations as a forbidden woman. And now you may have a different translation. Your translation may say uh, a foreign woman. And I think, that's, I think that's an okay translation. I think that's in many ways kind of right. I think forbidden takes it kind of the next level. Um, Foreign is, is helpful because what he's trying to point out, he's trying to point back to the law of Moses. When they were going into the land of Canaan, they were called not to um, marry uh, into the tribes that are there, into the pagan tribes that believed in other gods and that um, sought after um, other gods and worshiped idols. And so they were not to marry someone foreign. Now, however, the truth is we do see in scripture uh, several marriages to uh, foreign women that actually uh, God did honor because those women were no longer pagans. We see Rahab, we see Ruth, who they chose God. And so they were no longer foreign women. They were um, brought in to the family. And so they were not. So um, that, that's why the word foreign, foreign is there. I think forbidden is a little bit more helpful uh, because it is truly what is truly uh, to be watched for is a woman that's forbidden. And, and I have at least three ways in which she is forbidden. She's forbidden um, because uh, they, they do not trust the Lord. It is not of the Lord. These, these, these sins, these temptations are not of the Lord. That's why they are forbidden. Um, they are also forbidden because they are not your spouse. Um, you're, you are to be only in this way with your spouse and it is forbidden because they are not your spouse. And the other reason is forbidden is because they draw you, this woman, this forbidden woman, she draws you away from God. And so that is why she has been given this title, this sin has been given this title of forbidden woman. I also do want to say really quickly that he is describing, um, he's describing her as a, as, as a woman. He does the same thing with wisdom. As you know, in Proverbs, he calls wisdom a woman, refers to wisdom as a, as a woman. And so I'm going to continue to do that the same. This sin affects not just men. It also affects women. It is, it is, it is a sin. These are sins and temptations uh, for everyone. Um, but I'm going to continue on uh, for the sake of uh, ease and also for the sake of the mood of the text to continue and, and, and call it for women. But this is, this is a sin that we can all think of uh, as, as, as a true sin, true temptation for both men and for women. So let's, let's look. What, what is this forbidden woman like? What is, what is she like? What does she do? Um, and, and it starts with this. It says, her lips drip with honey. Now I want to point out that he's contrasting lips here. Right before, he says, your lips may guard knowledge, that your lips may guard knowledge. And it says, 
um, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. So I do just want to point out that contrast there of the lips of a righteous person. What they are meant to do is to guard knowledge. They speak only truth. They speak only wisdom. They speak only truth. But the lips of a forbidden woman speak, um, sorry, drip with honey. And what it means by this is, is it's, it's sweet. It sounds good. It sounds tempting. It sounds helpful. It sounds good, but it is not. Um, it seems like it'll be sweet. It seems like it will be enjoyable. And as we get on further, we'll see um, that instead it is bitter. Uh, her words are bitter. And I just want to spend just a little bit just to say, what, what, what does that look like, right? What does that temptation, what does that sweetness look like? And again, just like we said, sometimes dangers are hard to find. It comes out in things like this, like, uh, you know, you should really watch this show. It's really good. Yeah, it's got these scenes and it. it's got the stuff in it, but it's, it's a really, really good show. Uh, that's, that's one way it might, it might look, and you can probably think of others. Um, but it is, it is sweet. Her voice is sweet. It also says that her speech is smoother than oil. And I, and I really take that, I mean, they, they sound right. They, they, they go down well. Her words just seep into your ear. And that, man, that sounds right. That sounds true. That sounds true. And we know, um, we see in our own culture, we see it in our, in our close culture, in our, in our local town, in our local families, but we also see it on a, in, 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 in the news and on a bigger world scale that this is true of people being tricked, being lied to, and being led into this sin by the smooth sound. Because at the moment, it just sounds even moral. It even sounds right in the moment and not the time. That is how convincing the speech is. It is so convincing um, to take part in this, this temptation, to take part in this sin, that it sounds like it might even be the right choice to do. That is how, how smooth and how right it sounds. But in the end, as Solomon goes on, um, she is bitter and she is sharp. I love how he very quickly says, but she is the opposite. She is not sweet. She is bitter. She'll put a bad taste in your mouth may seem sweet, but in the end, you'll regret, regret the choice that you made. And also, um, it is not smooth. You'll find uh, the oil to not be smooth. You'll ins- instead find sharpness. You will find a sword that stabs right through you and causes damage and hurts you deeply. She is not smooth. She is sharp, and she is very painful. Ultimately, ultimately, and we see this here, she leads to death. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol, which is the place of the dead. Uh, She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. Ultimately, she leads to death. And again, this is the trick, right? No way, no way that me doing this little thing, having this little conversation, watching this small thing on TV or the screen or um, doing this thing with this person, no way will it lead to death. And that's exactly how she gets you. It's because you are to believe that that's the case. You are to believe that she is safe. You are to believe that she is leading you to life. But in fact, there's nothing life about her. She is all about death and she's all about your death. That is her goal, that is her role, that is her job, is to lead you to death. So let's look at what kind of damage um, does this forbidden woman do? Uh, Solomon spends a lot of time in verses 7 through 14 describing uh, the damage that this 
a woman can cause, this forbidden woman. And so I've, I've got five. There's probably more, but I, I see five that I've brought down. So the first one is this. She takes away your honor. She takes away your honor. Um, you see this here uh, in, in, in verse nine, lest you, use, get, sorry, lest you give your honor to others and you use the merciless. So you may ask how, how could she possibly, how could this sin, how could this temptation and falling into such temptation take away honor? And of course, it's actually quite simple. And if you've been in any kind of experience with this, you know that you lose the trust of others, Correct. Um, sin like this, very quickly, you lose the trust of others. People can't trust you. They can't trust what you do in your spare time or your alone time. They can't trust how you treat other people. They can't trust how you're going to treat um, the people that they love or care for. You cannot be trusted. You also lose your honor and the fact that you lose your integrity. You lose all integrity. And this is, again, something we see um, a lot. Uh, sadly, we've seen it a lot recently within the church. Uh, we see it in politics, of course, as well. But just... Um, people losing their entire name, their entire respect, um, their entire reputation because they gave in to the forbidden woman, because they fell in to this sin. They lost their honor. She takes away your honor. Number two, she takes away your strength. Any energy um, that you have, you've become so desirous of this woman that all of the energy that you have, you give to her. And it is energy that you will never get back Energy that is meant for work, energy that is meant to serve others, that is meant to worship, energy that is meant to care for those around you, instead is taken up either trying to commit this sin or trying to hide it. Um, All energy, all uh, strength that you may have is taken. And and in fact, I think you just find yourself weaker in general. Uh, The next one is she makes you waste your life. Precious time is taken up again in the sin itself, but is also taken up in the hiding of the sin. Um, Time is very precious. You know that, right? The older you get, the more you find that time is very, very precious to you and very important. It's something you cannot get back. And you will wish that you could get that time back, the time that you spent um, with this forbidden woman, the time you spent hiding, you will have wished you had back. You will have wished you have spent in different ways. Uh, The fourth one is that your relationship with her will end with regret. Um, He has a quote here. He's he's quoting the person who decides to uh, get involved with this woman. He says, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to the instructor's. I am on the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation, right? You will look back and you'll be like, how silly I was to hate discipline. You'll look back and say, how could I have fallen for it? How could I have done that? How have I could have I decided and not seen it, right? She is so clearly bitter and sharp. How could I have, have fallen for it? You will have great regret for the decisions that you made You will have wished you have done something else. You have wished that you would have listened to wisdom, right? Now, how often have we had that happen? How often have we done something and looked back at what someone told us in the past, like, oh, that's why they said that. That's why they said that. Please, I beg you, I ask you, listen the first time you hear it and obey. Listen and obey, or you will live in great regret. 
And the fifth one, and I, I, this one uh, really sticks out me, and I think it's really big, is, uh, number, is in verse 14. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Uh, this assembled congregation that he refers to here seems to me is most likely uh, the people who assembled in the cities of those days at the gates. It was a public place. Uh, many things were done there publicly, whether it be um, court hearings or big public decisions or whatever it may be. And I don't know if he's necessarily talking about any of those specifically. He could be talking about a case where someone committed adultery and you're being brought forth. And but either way, what he is saying here is that if you decide to fall in with this woman, you will be brought to public shame. You will be brought to public shame. Uh, Numbers 32, 23, this verse always sticks with me. It says, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. It, in this life or in the next, it will become public. Maybe it'll be during this life while you're here. Maybe it'll be after you pass and it'll publicly be known to people this, your secrets will be found, but I know for sure when you stand before Christ, it will be made known and it will be made public and you will be in utter ruin and, under, and utter shame because of it. And so I hope uh, I have laid out well um, how dangerous and how horrific this woman is and how this sin can destroy your life. It takes away your honor. It takes away your strength. She takes away your life, wastes it. You'll live a life of regret and you'll be in public shame. Now, thankfully, Solomon does not stop there. Um, he, in fact, gives us uh, wisdom. Again, wisdom is not just a, a barrier. Wisdom is a weapon. Wisdom is strength. Wisdom is power. It is power from God to do what is right. And so he gives us uh, three, but I'm gonna stick... With two, and the third one I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about, um, but two ways that we can avoid this woman. And the first way is in verse 7. It's also in, 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 verse, in verse 1, uh, but in verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. The first way that we defend ourselves from this sin is we do not depart from the words of the mouth of God. And that starts with Proverbs. I think Solomon is talking specifically about the words that he is saying here. And I think that alone would be pretty amazing to know and to have the words of Proverbs in your heart. But I do think it is fair to go even further and realize that we know, we have studied already before, that true wisdom starts with the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. And true wisdom, we know, comes from his word. And so the best way to stay away, to avoid this woman, to even, in fact, to see her for who she actually is, to see her bitterness and her sharpness immediately and her evil immediately is to always have God's word in, in our ears. I love that it says, like notice that it says, do not depart from the words of my mouth. It does not say, listen and then go and then come back later, right? Or like go and see how far you can go having remember. It says, do not depart. Do not depart. Always have God's word in your ear, on your heart, in your mind. Always, always be surrounded by God's word because God's word helps you see truth, helps you see things for what they really are. It will help you see this woman, this sin for what it really is. It'll help you see that because I guarantee you it is very, very challenging to sin in this way 
when you have a true understanding of who the great God of the universe is. When you see his truth, when you see his goodness, when you see his grace, when you see his justice, it is hard to look on that woman with temptation. So do not depart from it. How do, how do we do that? How do we not depart from God's word? We sing it. We pray it. We read it. We hear it. We hear it taught. We hear it read. We hear it preached. We speak it to each other. I think that's a huge one. We speak it to each other. We speak God's word to each other. Think about that. We, through wisdom, are able to help people fight against this sin, against temptation, by speaking God's word to people. By speaking God's word to people, you are able to stop um, great atrocities from happening. Think about that. By knowing and speaking God's word, you can stop great sins, great atrocities from happening in the lives of others. By always, in your own ability, in your own um, time, in your own uses, knowing, listening, hearing God's word and making it um, the place you go for wisdom and not other places. Because that's the other thing too. If you are not departing from the words of God, that means you're not going to other places for wisdom. Right? It means you're not going to other places for wisdom because I promise you everywhere else will say that the woman, the forbidden woman is sweet and smooth. Everywhere else you go will say that, I promise you. We'll say that. But if we stick with God's word, if we let it speak into our hearts, into our minds, it will do that. The second one is in verse eight. It says, keep your way far from her and your sorry, keep away far from her and do not go near the door of her house. The second way is to stay away from her and don't even get close. Don't even play around. Don't even get close. Stay away from her door. You know, don't enter her house, let alone don't enter her house. Don't even go near her door. Stay away from where she is. And how do we do that? We, we, um, there's a lot of ways, right? And I think we can make that really real. Maybe that looks like blockers on the internet. Maybe it looks like getting a dumb phone. Um, maybe it looks like not hanging out late with your girlfriend or being watchful of the relationships and conversations that we have with other people, especially um, the opposite gender. Being weary of social media, right? Being weary of ads, right? Because again, this woman is everywhere. You know that, right? We, we, you know that. Just like a mosquito, she's everywhere. She's in the ads. She's in the thumbnails on YouTube, uh, she's, she, she's everywhere. She's in, she's in books, she's in movies, she's in TV shows. She's across the street. She is everywhere. And she is ready to kill you. So you must flee from her. I, I, I love the verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. This is the words of Paul. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins, sins against his own body flee from sexual immorality. He's saying this is something different. This is something very painful. This is something that will stab into you and hurt you. Flee. Don't try to fight it. Don't try to face up to it. Run. Run. Don't even be close to it. The forbidden woman will kill you. You must run. You must flee. So I've obviously been talking about some very hard and challenging things um, that are quite um, hopefully scary. It's meant to be. I think this is very meant to be, I think the way Solomon is speaking is meant to be very frightening and scaring and very much a warning. Um, but what's really awesome is he does not stop there. He continues on and he gives an alternative route. Solomon gives an alternative route. He says, what if 
instead of chasing after these things, what if instead of chasing after this forbidden woman, these things that, that, you, that you not only should not have, but these things that will kill you and harm you, what if you chase after what God has given you? And he is namely here talking about your married spouse, the spouse, the, 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 the spouse that you're with, the person you are married to. And here it says, the wife of your youth. But again, I think as I say these things, I think it applies, it very much applies to men and women, both to, to a husband and to a wife. God created something beautiful when he created marriage, right? It says in, in, in Genesis that uh, the two became one flesh. What a beautiful thing, right? What an amazing thing he has created in marriage. And so I have three, um, three reasons. Uh, you know, notice it says here, rejoice in the wife of your youth. I have three reasons you do that. There are many, many, many more. Um, but I have three that I see in this passage that I uh, want to encourage you with. And, and again, this is... This is uh, if you are married, this is the way, man, I hope that your eyes are opened that you can see your spouse this way as, as is described here. And if you are not, I hope you're excited to wait in purity um, for a day when perhaps you will have a spouse that you can share um, this special relationship with. So the first thing is rejoice in, the, in your spouse because she is yours exclusively. There are very few things in your life that God calls you uh, not to share, right? We are to share many things that we have. We are to give many things that we have, and we are to love and care for many people. But he has given you one very special person for you to exclusively love romantically, and that is your spouse. And that is a very special thing. And notice, I love the language that he uses to describe that. Starting at 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Right? I love that. I love that idea of your spouse as fresh water. How often do we think of our spouses as fresh water, right? As water that makes us feel good, that makes us feel joyful, that we rejoice in, right? How important is fresh water? How important is fresh clean water? How important is our spouse? How important is your spouse to you? How valuable do you see her? How valuable do you see him? That, that romantic love is not something that's meant to be shared outside of marriage. It's meant to be something that's only in marriage. And it's something special that God created for you, for you to share. First Corinthians 7, 4 says this, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Again, just showing the specialness of this relationship where she is yours and you are hers. Something to not be taken lightly. She is yours exclusively. The second is because she is the wife of your youth. Now I want to point out that it says the wife of your youth, not your young wife, right? So this is not saying, um, this is not pointing out that she is young because we are all in different parts, in, in different parts of our marriage. And I don't know um, to whom he is speaking to specifically. I believe though in generally he's speaking to all husbands, to all married couples. And what he means by the wife of your youth is she is the one that you married. She is the one that is yours. She is the one that you fell in love with. She is the one that you made those vows to. She is the one that you dated. She is the one that you share life with. She is and always will be that woman. Treat her as she is. Always, right? Because I, I love that he says that because I think we have this thing where as we get further into marriage, we can have this tendency of forgetting that. 
right? We have a tendency of forgetting and, and we say things like, man, this person has changed or man, I can't even remember why we even liked each other, whatever it may be, but his call is to rejoice because she is still that woman. You are, she is still yours and you are still hers. Those vows that you made were very real in sickness and in death, right? Um, for better or for worse, right? What if we took those words so seriously? Like, what do you think worse means? But that we stick with each other when it's the worst. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Remember, remember the love that you have. Remember why you married her. Remember um, why you care for one another. She is and always will be that woman. Um, our love does not meant to fade, it's meant to grow. And, and there's this thing I think we have when we get married that we have this concept that we will, you know, we'll get married and then we'll just keep growing together. We'll just keep growing, keep growing and stay together. But the truth is because of our sin, um, because of the world we live in, our natural, our natural temptation is isolation. When we get married, our natural temptation is to pull away and to pull to other things. And so it's something we must fight for. That's why this word discipline is used often in this passage. It is a discipline to see and to love and to care for her. The third reason is this. It is because, and I love this word, is because she is intoxicating. It says, I love how it says, be intoxicated always in her love. Now, scripture spends a lot of time talking about that we should not be intoxicated by uh, alcohol, right? By wine and by drink. But it gives us at least two things that I know of that says to be intoxicated by. It says to be intoxicated by the spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And it says to be intoxicated by the love of your wife. And what I love about that, because what that tells me is sometimes I feel like we get this idea that we can, this really silly idea that we can love too much that we can love someone too much. Now, there is something to be said about that we are to love God more than we are to love anyone else. We're supposed to love a God above our spouse, but if we are loving our spouse more than we are loving God, that really just means that we're not loving God enough, not that we're, not love, not that we're loving our spouse too much because you cannot love your spouse too much. And I love that. I think that's the idea of being toxic. You are so filled with the love for your spouse that it intoxicates you, that you are drunk on the love, the romantic love and care for your wife. This is a woman, a spouse that you care for so, so, so much that nothing else compares and the joy that comes from such a relationship and such intimacy um, cannot be matched. And that is the love we are to have. And again, such a love is something that we must continue to see. And something I want to point out as I love that it says, be intoxicated always in her. It does not say, wife, be intoxicating. It says, be intoxicated always in her love. It's your decision. It's your way. It's your job to see her that way. It's your job to see your spouse that way, to see her for who she is, to um, love her, to care for her. That is, is your, job, your job to do, to do that. Sometimes um, we want to blame our spouses, but the truth is, it is our call to see, to let God open our eyes to come in and see our spouse for who she is. Now, I did actually add a, a fourth one. I said three, but I did add a fourth uh, just because I think it's really helpful. Um, we should... Uh, love our wives because we should love lovely things and your wife is lovely. She is lovely because she is God's and she is lovely because she is yours. 
and we should love lovely things. This passage um, ends with a great warning, a large warning um, against, against sin. And it kind of comes in threefold. And the first is this. It is that if you are sinning in this way or in any other way truly, you will be found out. You will be found out. You know how, how when you're sinning in this way, you're really nervous about the sound of a shutting door or an opening door or of creaking stairs or worried about what's going to be found on your history on, on, on the internet or worried about someone seeing the text that you're sending or the emails that you're sending. Uh, that, that, that fear and that worry um, is very real because you're worried of someone finding you. Well, let me inform you, you've already been found out. The sin has already found you. Um, God sees everything. It says that right here, for man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. God already sees it, right? That sin that you think you do in secret is not done in secret. It is known. It is known by God. But also notice in the next verse that you're so worried about getting caught, but you've already been caught. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sins. You've already been caught. The worst that could be done has already been done. In fact, if you would be caught for doing that sin, that'd be one of the best things that could happen to you if you could be caught doing that sin because then healing and repentance could happen. No, you are already caught. What has caught you is the sin itself. It has ensnared you. I don't know if any of you have ever... um, I'm hunted with snares, I'm familiar with the snares, but the cable that pulls and tightens um, to kill and to take away breath, that is the kind of picture that it has given. Your sin is pulling. As The more you pull, the more you fight, the more life it is taking away from you. You have already been caught by your sins, by your very, very own sins. And then thirdly, you die for lack of discipline. God knows you, he sees you, and you are caught in your sin, and then you die from lack of discipline. Because in those moments, you did not fight. Because in those moments, you did not push back. Because in those moments, you did not rely on Christ. Because in those moments, you did not fear God, you die. And great folly has led you astray. And that's where the chapter ends. Thankfully, uh, the Bible does not end there at the end of Proverbs 5. Um, but I do want us to sit in that for just a little bit. Your sin is known. You are ensnared in your sin and you die for lack of discipline. And so of course here, there's a call for discipline. There's a call to uh, be disciplined in what you watch and disciplined in who you talk to, disciplined in how you see things, disciplined in knowing God's word, disciplined in your faith and trust in God. But there is more here because I know in a room it does, like this, it does not take very many people for there to be people who are listening to this and hearing and thinking, I am the woman. I am the forbidden woman. I am the forbidden man. I am the person who is committing these sins. I am the person who is bringing other people into these sins. And let me give you this great, great truth is that God is the savior of the unfaithful. That's what he does. In fact, the picture that he gives in scripture of Israel, of the church, is of a woman. And in fact, often uh, we see this, uh, we see this in, in, in different parts of the Bible, a picture of 
an adulterous woman or an unfaithful woman that he saves and he brings and he makes beautiful and he marries and he brings to himself. That is the picture that the Bible has. And if you are there, if you are in sin, in that sin, Christ is calling to you and saying, repent and come to me and I will love you. And I will love you with a deep love unlike any other. Folks, John 1, 9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and not sorry, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us, to clean us. You can come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus and he will forgive you of those sins. As I said, God is the savior of the unfaithful. When we look in this book, when we look in this book, it is filled with men and women who failed and they failed, many of them failed specifically in this sin and God saved many of them through grace, through faith, he brought them to himself. In fact, the author of Proverbs, Solomon, was one of them. And another one was Solomon's father, King David, uh, was a man who fell greatly into sin. In fact, all of, these, all of these dangers of the forbidden woman David saw in his own life. Um, David actually fell so far into the sin of adultery that it led him to murder. It led him to hiding sins. The king of Israel, the man who was to represent God, fell greatly into sin. But when it came time of confrontation, when he was confronted by his sin, he, he sought repentance and God gave it. And so uh, I will end by reading the words of David that he said when he came to God in repentance. But before I do that, I want to call out to you and I want to say, if you're in this place, if you are fighting this sin, if you are fighting against the forbidden woman, if you are fighting any version of these sins, we as a church want to help you. Um, the elders of this church, the leaders of this church, um, Pastor Mike, I, we want to help you. Come to us, talk to us. Um, send an email to the church. There's um, papers in, in the chairs. Um, this is not a fight. You are to fight alone. Find help. We will, we will help you fight in every way that we can. We will come with you, around you to fight this. And if it's, if it's, if it's a marriage thing, even, even the more. We, we want to come together with you and your spouse and fight this together with you and do this together with you. Well, let me read. I'm going to read Psalm 51, um, 7 through 17. These are the words of David. Uh, let me, and, and please think about the beauty of these words. He's going to say, he is a man who has in every way fraternized and sinned with this forbidden woman. He has committed adultery, and that adultery has led to deeper sin. And these are the words that he comes before God with. And these are the words that you can come before God with and that God will respond with. And, 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 here, and here it is. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. 
You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Father God, you love the unfaithful. Father, you came not to save the healthy, but to save the hurting, to save the weak, to save sinners. While we were still sinners, you died for us, Father. Uh, Father, we, we ask for you, we call for you to come save us. Come to us, Father, um, through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, through his resurrection, Lord, save us, uh, make us clean. Father, may we be a people who live uh, not in the darkness, not hidden, tra- chasing after the forbidden one, but rather, Father, may we be a people, may we be um, spouses who love our wives, who love our husbands, who care for them, who um, romantically care and desire to be with each other. And may we be a people, a church, who uh, seek after purity with all our hearts, knowing, uh, Lord, that you are our one love. And we pray and we thank you for all that you have given us um, and all that you've done. Praise in your name, amen.